Hi there. Coming up next week here in the Artichoke Cafe, Ms. Etta, Arietta Ward. And the following week, Darka Dusty will be here to talk about Ukraine and a lot more. We're on a great run of coffee shop conversations. Last time it was Jeremy Wilson, and today it's pianist-composer Kerry Pollitzer, who has a new album on Portland's PJCE label. It's called In a Heartbeat and features an all-star band, which includes her husband, George Colligan, on drums. She'll talk about the rest of the band and why the album is called In a Heartbeat, and you can hear the title track when we're done talking. This terrific run of Coffee Shop Conversations at Artichoke goes on. Well, the little red light has stopped, uh, stopped beeping, and that means we're recording. How you doing? Hi there. I miss having you write for us. That was a wonderful thing that, for, for that brief period of time when you were, well, that was for school. I think I wrote on a class, a contemporary classical piano duo for you, actually, yeah. the Digitus. There's a couple of pieces, though. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, you're good. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, you've got this new album. It's uh, In a Heartbeat. Why is it called In a Heartbeat? It's called In a Heartbeat because the title track has this heartbeat figure uh -huh. that I actually had come to me in a dream, and the rest of the piece came from that figure. Wow, in a dream. Yeah, and uh, the whole album is kind of about, you know, we're coming out of, well, I don't know if we're coming out of uh, the pandemic, but yeah. it's kind of about, you know, life and death and everything in between and uh -huh. how, ephemeral, how ephemeral life can be. You know, so I, I actually, the figure, so that song in particular, In a Heartbeat, was dedicated to my son, the sec uh -huh. my second son, shortly after I after I gave birth to him, that figure came to me. And so huh. there's that song, but then there's also Goodbye, which is a dedication to my aunt who I lost during the pandemic. Wow. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, uh, just all about life and everything that goes into what that. What was the dream about? Do you mind? It was just a musical figure. Sometimes I dream oh, musical oh. figures, and there's a bunch of songs all over this album and also below the surface, my previous album for uh -huh. PJCE, that have things that came to me in a dream and huh. then I just had to, to get up and write write it down. It does not happen that often, but when it does. So it's like you 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 hear um uh, uh you hear you hear the tune? Yeah, I hear I hear things and, and a lot of times they're not things that I would have written if I was awake. Huh. So yeah that that's interesting when that happens. Like there's a song on this album called Spring Day and I dreamed uh -huh. this saxophone figure that you know, maybe I would have heard somebody play in real life during a solo or something, but I wouldn't have written something like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So do you dream that you're playing it or do you just hear it? I just hear it. And then wow. sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, this also happened with the tune 3 a.m., which is kind of a nightmare tune. I woke up at uh. 3 a.m., which I unfortunately tend to do oh. uh, sometimes. And well, with babies, I guess you would. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not babies anymore, <laughs> not but, anymore I'm, but I'm still used to getting up now. So <laughs> this one song, I dreamed this kind of nightmarish figure. And this is something else that I wouldn't have written were I conscious. And uh -huh. I, I woke up. I'm like, I have to write this down. It just epitomizes the feeling of 3 a.m. Wow. And so that's also on this album. Do you ever hear about Bill Frizzell's dream? I love Bill Frizzell, but I don't know about his dream. I had him uh, when when, uh, when I was working a different shift at KMHD. I had him in the studio. Oh, wow. And uh, somehow dreams came up. And I, I, just, I just said to him, what do you dream? 
I don't know why I asked him that. It was it was, sounds like a great question, but I, I just I had to ask him. And he said, well, I'll tell you about my dream. And he told this long story about being in a house that he'd never been in before. And these kind of gnomes were there. And one of them said, would you like to see every color of the, of the spectrum? And he goes, yes. And they showed it to him. And he said, and then, and then after, after he, he was on, they said, would you like to hear music the way it's the way it, it should be heard? And he said yes. And what they played for him it was something he had never heard before, and it changed his life. It's That's an amazing story. I, you know, um, uh, I, 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 unfortunately, the first time that we were recorded, we, I mean, the first time he was on, it wasn't recorded. But I, the, la the next time he was in town. I asked him if he would tell the story again, and he did. It was it's a wonderful story. It's just like. <laughs> I wonder what the music sounded like. Well, it's hard to describe, isn't it? I would guess it would be hard to describe, you know. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so I dream about old streetcars. Really? Yeah. I figure that when I go, one's going to take that. that I'll, I'll be taken away in one of them. <laughs> Old Baltimore streetcars. Oh uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's. I mean, we were just talking about that before. That um, uh, your husband George Colligan and I lived in the same building in two different times in Baltimore. I can't believe decades that. apart. <laughs> that's wild. Okay, so um, let's get back to the album, huh? Oh sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's. Why, why don't you tell me about the people that you have playing on it with you? Well. Uh, I have my stalwart husband, George Colligan, yes. who's better known as a pianist, but he's an excellent drummer and trumpet player, organ player, uh -huh. all kinds of other stuff. So he always provides really great support uh -huh. and he doesn't overcharge me. <laughs> so, and then I have uh, Joe Manis, who until recently was on the faculty with us at Portland State. Uh -huh. And now he's um, doing a lot more, a lot more teaching over at University of Oregon, but he's somebody that I've played with for several years, really you know, really great player. He's on saxophone and flute on one tune on this uh -huh. album. Uh -huh. um, then we have Garrett Baxter, who's kind of become like the most, the, the first call bass player in town, kind of just in a That's saying in something pinch. in Portland. Because yeah. Portland has always been known, although some, several of them have passed away by now, but Portland was always known for having great bass players. Glenn yeah. Moore. Leroy, Leroy Vinegar. Vinegar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he's a really... Scott Steed, mm -hmm. all those guys, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of great, great players for sure. Um, but he's fantastic. And uh, and he he came here from Eugene, I guess, earlier this year. I'm trying mm -hmm. to think. So Tom Barber, who's now with Pink Martini, he's yeah. a great trumpet player. He was yeah. also on Below the Surface, the album that I did for PJCE in, I uh -huh. think, 2014. Uh -huh. Just great musician. And... I guess that's it. It's the five of us. Yeah. Got the pink martini gig, huh? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's great to work with. He does everything like perfectly. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I guess you would have to. <laughs> you also would have to, have to really like to travel. For sure. Or yeah. have no kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, um, okay. So you, and you've been playing with, with them for a while? 
I have. I mean, you know, the pandemic kind of took a chunk out of my playing as mm-hmm. it did for a lot of people. Yeah. I wasn't really doing very much. Uh, I did some online stuff, which was kind of interesting, some online musical collaborations Mm -hmm. that we put on YouTube. But now, you know, I did some writing during that time, and now this album kind of is a culmination of of some of the writing that I was doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the the biggest advantage to working with the same people over over a period of time? Well, with George, obviously, I have a, kind of an understanding. He, he just—he's a great musician, and he just kind of understands everything that I'm doing. Yeah. So I know that he's going to make it sound great, and I won't—I won't even really have to give him any direction at all. Wow. I'll just be like, "This is what this is," and and he'll just do a great job. I, I guess that maybe the main advantage is, you know, you know that somebody is going to express what you wanted, mm-hmm. and they'll have hopefully have fun doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You do you, are all these pieces scored? I'm just this is a stupid question, but uh, but uh, who knows, you know? So the the head the heads you know the intros heads uh-huh. are scored. Sometimes you know if we're playing live, I'll try to make some split decision that might work or might <laughs> not to you know at the end or something. Sometimes yeah. you know I might yeah. spring something on them, but generally, you know, generally it's it's set out what we're supposed to do. Yeah. How do they react when you do that? Uh I hope they think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it'll just be something like, you know, George should have a drum solo until the end of time, you know, or for this vamp, <laughs> you know, and some of those decisions may have made their way onto the album. Like, I think in a lullaby for Messian, I'm just like, let's not mm-hmm. go to the very end of the head. Let's just let George rock on <laughs> while people, people vamp. And that's kind of a fun way to end things just to like, you know, hear him on the drums. <laughs> Now, there's a name you don't hear very often. Is is uh, Olivier Messiaen? Yeah. I saw that. I saw that on the album. I went, "Whoa!" You know, it's kind of funny. I didn't realize how much his, how much of this, how much of Messiaen there was in modern jazz. So George uses a lot of his uh, chord voicings. Really? Yeah. When when he's doing some of his his composing and then I've been at Rowan University doing this online masters in jazz composition Mm -hmm. and my teacher over there has been talking a lot about the modes of limited transposition and especially mode three which is kind of this this crazy sounding mode that can sound like it's inside or outside and he was having me write some stuff with that and showing me YouTube videos of people playing with mode three Mm so yeah, so mode one was is the whole tone scale, which is very common. It's in the yeah. you know. Then there's mode two, which is the diminished scale, and then or some people call it octatonic. And then after mode two, the 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 rest of the modes are kind of they're more obscure and they're not something that people use all the time, but they're definitely you know represented in in modern jazz and people doing more mm-hmm. experimental or newer sounds. Mm-hmm. Would you like some coffee? I never say no to coffee ever. Okay. Yeah, we had our coffee machine break last month, and oh, no. I almost didn't recover. <laughs> so it's, it's working again. We sent it out, but yeah, I still feel PTSD from the experience. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Coffee is good. Well, it's called Coffee Shop Conversations. <laughs> uh, by the way, it's called co- Coffee Shop Conversations and not Coffee Shop Interviews. Oh, okay, and it's not Tea Conversations or... Uh, I don't know what else. What else, people? Yerba, mate, yerba mate, or well, when we when we first started this a long time, which seems like a long, long time ago, which it probably was about eight years, 
um, we actually did them in coffee shops, in, in a coffee shop. Where did you, what coffee shops? Uh, what was the name of it? it over with, one over at 18th and Gleason, Northwest. It's not there anymore. Okay. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a uh, casualty of the pandemic. But anyway, we had a falling out, so I'm much happier here. Look at this. Well, this is lovely artichoke music. We did a quartet gig here for the PDX Jazz Local Series. Uh-huh. And we had a really nice audience. It's a, it's for, for anyone who can't see where we are, which I guess is everybody, it's a very intimate venue with, you know, attractive uh, photos on the wall. Yeah. Nice and stage. Good. Yeah. The 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 uh, the uh, the guy who's in charge of the sound here is tremendous. Yeah, the sound was great. It has uh, there's some there's a mirror with with a couple of you know stringed instruments and a drum yeah, on top. Yeah. There's a, a painted purple wall, and uh, yeah, it seems like a nice community space. It is nice, you know. I mean, uh, you know, for a, of course for a while we couldn't. We, no, 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 nobody was going anywhere. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's so. why we started having that driveway series in front of my house. Oh, yeah. Because nobody felt safe indoors. So we right. started this weekly afternoon series. It was Friday afternoons. We've actually had it for three years straight. And uh, we'd have musicians from all over Portland, both professionals and students, come mm -hmm. and do an hour performance. I'm waiting to hear if we're going to do, if we're going to continue this summer. It all depends on. Uh, you know, the funding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, y you're known for doing, uh, working in, in Boston of Brazilian music. This is not that, this no. new album. Yeah, I guess there's only one representation of that. There's the song Marble Maze, mm -hmm. which has kind of a, like a short thing. But yeah, the previous album was a tribute album to a Brazilian composer, and it was just a bunch of reworkings of his mm -hmm. tunes, um, and then a few originals kind of in his style. That was uh, a tribute to the guitar player Durval Ferreira. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I guess I kind of go back and forth between different interests, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to get into something else. Um, I started taking these uh, guitar lessons now really? with Jeffrey Ashton, who's over at University of Portland. Uh -huh. um, I just never want to feel like I'm just doing one thing because then I get a little bit stagnant. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, that's, I find that hard to believe that you would get stagnant. <laughs> but I do. Creatively, it's kind of, it's easy to just get into one thing or... Uh -huh. Um, you know, with all the other life responsibilities I have going on, it's even easy just to forget about all of this, you know, creative work. Uh -huh. So, uh -huh. huh. um, okay, so um, uh, is is there is there an overall theme to this album? Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe. I don't know if it's musically or harmonically but the theme well you know technically it's dedicated to my aunt's memory yes and that was like i said the song goodbye which is the last mm -hmm. track on the album mm -hmm. but i guess every tune kind of has well if i'm going to look at the title so the first song is called bad news mm -hmm. and the reason that it's it sounds like bad news it sounds like somebody called you on the phone <laughs> and had a piece of bad news for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you you know it's kind of it's a little bit uh -huh. grim a little i don't know so 
you know, we had a lot of bad news in the past couple of years with, with everything going on with the health crisis. Um, then there are some other things on there. There's Marble Maze, which was kind of me watching my younger son play with toys indoors, you know, over oh, the yeah. past couple of years. And yeah. you can watch the marble go down the maze. And yeah, that yeah. song kind of has a melodic line that's like a marble maze. Uh -huh. um, on the spring, the spring day was one day where I was outside and all of a sudden the weather was beautiful. I think it was year one of the of the pandemic. But I, I went outside and things almost felt back to normal for a second. And that kind of has like an easy and relaxed feeling about it. Then there's shaky ground, which I thought was a good title for some of the uncertainty that we've been feeling. Which is not the temptation song. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, cycle is about the life cycle in a heartbeat. I guess we talked uh -huh. about lullaby for Messian is that's kind of an outlier. It was just some harmonic ideas that I had. And, uh -huh. um, let's see. 3am was the nightmare song. Um, Goodbye was for my aunt. And then the last thing was the umbrella statement was actually a commission from the PJCE. We had this little composer's cook-off, me and Justin Copeland, and we had to write a song that incorporated elements of Billy Strayhorn's rain check. Wow. So I took a little rhythmic figure from that, and I tried to come up with something, and then he came up with something else, and then they had like a little contest, and it was at Vino Veritas, I think, because ah, nice. they're, they're always coming up with fun uh -huh. Fun ideas that PJCE uh -huh. and sometimes including me, which I always am excited about. Hey guys, we're recording in here. Hey guys, people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little distracting. I could go in there and start waving, waving the cane around. <laughs> well, that was the... You, <laughs> I've been out of Baltimore for, for 30 years, and but you cannot take the Baltimore out of the boy. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take a New Yorker, New York out of the New right. Yorker either. All right. Okay. All right, let's, let's, let's get back to this. Um, so is there is there a, 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 a excuse me <laughs> the, the theme of the album no oh. uh will there be a a release gig we actually had one already you had one yeah the 1905 i missed it oh yeah I'm sorry um, it was it was kind of i mean it was there it was uh i guess i didn't do a ton of promotion for it uh -huh. i should have been better about that it was october 21st i see i see but we had a good time good time playing the music and you uh -huh. know hopefully people are having a good time listening to it i you know i, I know sometimes uh and i've seen this several times happen several times that um 
that the the ensemble knows the music so well that sometimes it'll come out better the, 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 when you play it live than it did the, when, when you first recorded it. Yeah, that's true. The live recordings have a lot of have have a different energy. I mean, yeah. I will say we had a really excellent time on the gig, and I also included a song that didn't make it onto the album that I'd really like to record at some point called "Far yeah. Away Dreams." We really really had a great time with that song. Uh-huh. It's also really fun to arrange for an ensemble and to hear how things come out. You know, they sound a lot different than if when you're just playing the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you you don't step out as much on this album. I mean, you know, uh, I, 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 this, at least that was the feeling that I got. Uh, as you have on some other ones, you're you're th- you're always there and always present. But it's not like you're you know it wasn't like you were like taking big flashy solos. Right. I think I was kind of thinking more like, let's get this composition out there. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe in the future I might do another trio record. I think I've only done one trio record because uh-huh. I've been really getting into the the feeling of the ensemble. Yeah, and you know, even wanting to compose for a, a larger ensemble, I'm you know kind of enjoying being part of something. One thing I started doing recently is the 1905 started a big band, uh-huh. and it's the 1905 orchestra. And we've had, I guess, three performances, and that's you know that's a very that's very much like a supporting role. But I really enjoy it because I love being part of a, mm-hmm. a group. Mm-hmm. Who who leads that band? That is Matt Sazima's mm-hmm. creative project, and then also Aaron Barnes. So they're mm-hmm. I guess co-directors, mm-hmm. but Matt has provided the majority of the music, in addition to. Steve Owen contributed a couple charts, mm-hmm. and then Garrett Baxter uh, transcribed "Such Sweet Thunder," Ellington's "Such Sweet Thunder," mm-hmm. and and I was thinking of maybe you know some of these assignments I have of of writing something for them too. That's great. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. I guess they play. We played at the Cathedral Park Jazz Festival this mm-hmm. year, and you know there's such great musicians in that band. It's it was really fun to play with them. That was a really good festival. Yeah, it is a good festival. <laughs> it's terrific. Well, it hasn't always been great. I mean, oh. it has been has had a long kind of checkered history over the years. You know, some some years it's been terrific. Like Mary Sue Tobin ran it a couple of years. And yeah, that yeah. Was, that was really great. But this year was tremendous. Yeah, that was. Um, I think that's actually the first time I've played in it. So of course I'm gonna like. <laughs> like well, this yeah, year. <laughs> but it's such a it's such a beautiful place. To, oh, it's wonderful. It, it really is. You yeah, know, and, uh, and it's great because people can. It's very casual. People can come. They sure. can leave. They can go to the food cart. And there's and, always kids dancing yes, around. Exactly. That's the really cool yeah. thing about it. Um, I mean, we've I, I, uh, I, I've sent photographers out there several times, and they always come back with pictures of kids dancing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That's why, I mean, that's why we enjoyed, it's not a festival, but the driveway jazz, you know, people always yeah. feel free to bring yeah. their kids. It's four yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. Nobody's asleep yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you, they can run around. We have, we've let kids go in their backyard where there's a trampoline and, uh-huh. you know, everybody, uh-huh. dogs, you know, uh-huh. we uh-huh. can, you know, be open to everyone. So, mm-hmm. and also, we're also, you know, no charge. Yeah. Yeah. So are you, are you kids playing any, playing any music? They are very musical, but they're not interested in playing any music. I tried to get the younger one in some piano lessons, and uh-huh. 
I think the teacher said he spent the first 15 minutes just like running around the room. And then my older one is very, I think he was working with George on a controller and we got him a couple of piano lessons. They both have really great ears for music. Like the little one, if I sing something in the wrong key, he'll mm. actually start singing it in the right key. Wow. But they're not really interested in, they're not interested in learning an instrument. I wish that they would. And I have, I definitely know people that make their kids learn instruments. Right. And maybe, right. maybe I'm doing them a disservice by not forcing them. But, <laughs> you know, at this point, the, the, the younger one is more into sports kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And my uh-huh. older one is mostly into computer stuff. Yeah. Wow. Did you start with piano? I did, yeah. Wow. How? At what age? I think I was like three or four, and my parents got me one of those little toy J-Mars, and then my grandmother died when I was four, and then they got me a piano piano. Huh. And huh. then, you know, group lessons and then private lessons. So it was a toy piano, the first one? The toy piano was when I was three. Yeah. The yeah. little, little yeah. J-Mar, and I was like picking out songs on it and, you know, trying to write them down. And this, my mom has this drawing I did you know trying to write I didn't understand about how to read music but I just drew uh-huh. all these lines with <laughs> these pink and blue notes going all over the place you know trying to write a score <laughs> there was a there was a band years ago um that used all toy instruments really yeah they, they, they it was very limited in what they could do because after the first tune it was like okay what are you going to do now but they had a song called a funny thing happened to me on the way to the toy store. <laughs> that was there was. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was, it was funny. Well, there's a guy on YouTube that hooked up a bunch of fruit to his controller. <laughs> he plays watermelons and <laughs> and kiwis <laughs> and all different kinds of fruits. And it sounds funny. it sounds really good. <laughs> sounds like something Sun Ra would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, pretty perishable keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, when did you get serious about it? Or were you always serious about it, even when you had a toy piano? I guess I've always kind of done music, and I I was kind of an introverted kid who just wanted Uh to, you know, be writing and drawing and and making music indoors. Uh That's just something I've always wanted, just kind of gravitated towards. So I guess, Uh you know, for that reason, the rainy season in Portland is not a bad thing. (laughs) I know a lot of people who feel exactly that same way. I'm not one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, but then I, I don't have to be, I, I don't need that <laughs> to do what I do, I, uh, which is just you know play music on the radio. <laughs> well, it's not always great with kids because yeah. they might be bouncing off the walls. But if I just had, you know, if it, if everything were left to, if I was left to my own devices, I... I would be fine with that. <laughs> so when did you really get serious about it? Well, I went about away to music school when I was 14. My uh-huh. parents sent me to North Carolina School of the Arts. Wow. And, but I guess the one wrinkle in all of this is that I didn't really learn how to play piano in a way that physically was healthy. So I ended up with severe tendinitis. Oh, my God. From like 14 to 19 or something. And then I went to New England Conservatory for college, and I had to stop playing, you know, a couple times. And when that happened, I started listening to jazz because there were some really great jazz artists there. And then when I went back to playing again, I I switched into the jazz department. Because the great thing about jazz is that you can play to your limitations. What do you mean? 
I don't, I mean, if I, if I'm technically not up to like a scriabin etude, I don't have to play, play it. Hmm. I can play, you know, something that, I mean, now my technique's a lot healthier because I did some work on it. I still have some more work left to do, but I'm not in pain and I can physically play with comfort. But there was a long time when I couldn't at all. But you kept at it. I did. I found a really wonderful technique called the Feldenkrais technique where Uh I've studied with like with this really wise person who basically in five months he got rid of the pain. I went every week for five months and we did these exercises and at the end of that I was like pain free and then it was just a matter of trying to learn how to play in a physically intelligent way. Wow. How long did it take you to get over all that? That was five months after five years yeah. of pain. Five years and you con- and you continued to play? I guess I just didn't know what else to do, you know. <laughs> I always kind of played the piano and I couldn't see not doing it so yeah Yeah. you know at one point it was really severe i couldn't even write or open a door jeez but you continued to play i did or at least listen to music like the year at when i was at new england conservatory the year that i couldn't play at all i just listened i i transcribed i went to hear music you know i wanted to be connected to it and fortunately i found i found a technique that was able to help me learn how to move with comfort again. So, so uh, with all that, how did you find your, your, your own voice? I guess the more, so when I was at New England Conservatory, there's this philosophy, I'm sure you've heard about the third stream philosophy. Uh And that philosophy is basically like, there's all of these, not just classical and jazz, but anything you might hear might you know, go into your ear and just kind of mix up with everything that you've heard uh-huh. until it becomes your own personal voice, your own personal style of music. Uh-huh. And, you know, I guess I'm old enough now that I've heard a lot of music. And yeah. so whatever I do is going to come out as me. Huh. But did, didn't, didn't that, didn't, didn't, didn't the pain kind of retard the process of your progress? Well, you always hear things, you know, whether you can yeah. physically fulfill the requirements of your ears is something else, but you always, you know, your ears can always be growing. You can always be listening and, Mm -hmm. and writing, you know, writing, composing. You don't need a lot of facility to compose. Yeah. And then I had a great teacher in Boston, Charlie Banakas, who, you know, helped me with some exercises. And then even today I'm continuing to improve things with, um, some, like a disciple of the Dorothy Talman technique, uh-huh. And they're, they're all about playing without pain, playing with alignment, playing uh-huh. um, in a way that makes sense. So do you still have to do any of these exercises? I'm always trying to improve things. Like one yeah. exercise I got that really is pretty cool is it just it sounds like it's not related to music at all. But you sit at the piano before you start with a pencil and eraser side down and you just, you know, using no force, you just let it fall into the gravity of the keys Huh. And it really brings home how little effort you need to to make a note sound. And so that's one common mistake that we have. You know, some of us as pianists, we, f- we feel like we have to use way too much exertion. And that's when we b- that we can end up with pain. Uh-huh. But if you have an awareness of how little effort you really need, then it can totally revamp your the way that you play. Wow. People don't understand that at all. I mean, not, not that they don't understand, but they have no clue about what... 
the physical yeah. mechanics of playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people end up with problems because you know, you some people end up they wait over practice, you know, hours and hours and hours a day, uh-huh. or just playing for twenty minutes the wrong way. You can end up injured if you do that for for weeks or months. What What is the wrong way? A way where you're using too much effort, or uh-huh. if you're going against what the body wants to do, uh-huh. or just overuse. Yeah. Wow. Huh. It's like with anything, tennis elbow, right? Right, right. So do you play every day? I do not. You don't? <laughs> no. I d- <laughs> there's a lot going on in my house. And I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I play if there's nobody at home. Wow. Huh. Would you like to play more? I would. I definitely would. Yeah. 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 H- how does it work? I know you've been asked this many times, but but I, I haven't asked you. How does it work having two pianists in the family? Yeah, I do. People do ask me that, especially well, since my husband is he's pretty prolific. Yeah. Well, uh, we do have a. So sometimes, you know, especially over the course of the pandemic, we're both teaching online. Yeah. So one of us would have the office and the other one would like go in the bedroom with the keyboard or uh-huh. or my younger son's bedroom with the keyboard. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that we kind of had to do. So sometimes we would kind of, I would be like, oh, well, I have to be from 11 to noon in here. And, you know, especially when we were all home and on all on top of each other, that was a challenge yeah. because we had yeah. to, we were teaching exclusively online. So uh-huh. we had to have a real schedule because we were all inside at the same time. Well, I, yeah, I, I can understand the scheduling part of it. But what about the... Um, is is there a competition component? I don't know. Beca- I don't think so. I mean, we both do kind of different things. And, you know, also, I, I'm just always inspired by my husband. I think he's really great. He's actually, like, my favorite pianist. Really? So... Is he a muse for you? I think maybe in, like, in my 20s, I was kind of trying to to do some of the stuff that he was doing just because, you know, it sounded great to me. Yeah. I don't know that a muse is somebody that is, I mean, I've, I've had people that I considered a muse and not, it's not, and it's not that, um, there was any imitation of, but it was more along the lines of inspiration. Well, he's very inspired. He's kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at how prolific he is. I Mm -hmm. think he has something like, if I say that he has 30 CDs as a leader, I might be undercounting. <laughs> um, he's just incredibly prolific, and uh-huh. he doesn't seem to suffer from any kind of writer's block or anything. He is just, he's always in the music zone. Yeah. So that is inspiring. Yeah, yeah. And you're in the mom zone a lot. The mom zone and the going to school zone. And, yeah. Um, yeah, the studying zone. That's, that's kind and of... And teaching. Yeah, studying, teaching. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that. Is there somebody that you pattern your teaching techniques after? Well, you know, for some of my more advanced kids, I would give mm-hmm. them um, like some of. So basically, I think I've gotten a lot from my teachers. Yeah. And so I will tend to pass something on to my students. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm always learning all the time. Like one thing I that I'm going to be doing as, as of this Friday for six Fridays is I'm teaching a course on 
Art Tatum, Phineas Newborn, and Oscar Peterson through Jazz at Lincoln Center online. So I had to do an incredible amount of research on these three pianists, like biographical, uh-huh. stylistic. Uh-huh. And so I'm always, whenever I learn something, I'm always trying to pass it on to my students who are especially receptive. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you're doing all this research, then you find, oh, wow, Dr. Billy Taylor wrote an article about, you know, where block chords came from, you know, and huh. and I'm and I'm going to print this 1977 article out from Contemporary Keyboard Magazine and give this to my students. So, yeah. like, I like to just try to keep active and keep uh, transmitting information. Uh-huh. And so you say Phineas. I know there's, there's, <laughs> there there's, was... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if you read his brother's, um, biography of yeah, him. There's yeah. a there's kind of an off color story in there about when <laughs> he decided to to use the new pronunciation. Um, yeah, which was the new pronunciation was what? Fine. The the old one was finest. I finest. Guess everybody yeah, was yeah, finest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, people kind of they they say it two different ways still to this day. That's weird. Yeah, but yeah, that book is really. <laughs> I recommend it if you can get your hands on it. It's just uh-huh. it's out of print. Cal- Calvin. Calvin Newborn uh-huh. is a really great book, though. It's huh. like the only, it's really the only real biography of Phineas Newborn Jr., hmm. which is a tragedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's enough that, that people even know who he is, you know? I mean, if he had, if he had been in, in better health, like, he would have been, he probably would have had the career that Oscar Peterson had. Wow. Huh. Huh. Well, listen, this has been terrific. You know, thank you for coming by. I'd like to go out with one of the tunes. Do you have a suggestion? Um, well, how long do you have? Because some of them it's are longer. It's a podcast. It could go on forever. I like the title track because okay. it's very, it'll, it'll put people maybe in a, a mellow and relaxed vibe for the rest of the day. Well, we need that every day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Carrie. You've been terrific. And, and, thank you and for having the, me. The album is, is, is wonderful and, and uh, much success with it and, uh, and with raising the kids. <laughs> yeah, I need all the luck I can, I can get. So. <laughs> and as we'd like to say at the end of all these things, that's entertainment. Entertainment.